1: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, and welcome to Slow News, the podcast where we look at what's driving the news, not breaking news. I'm Basha Cummings. So by now we can see that government in the time of coronavirus is a balancing act between public health and the economy. Everyone's on a high wire, but arguably Rishi Sunak's wire is the highest of them all. He's the British Chancellor of the Exchequer, the guy who looks after the money. And one of the first huge moves that he made when coronavirus hit was to offer to pay the wages of millions of people who couldn't work because of the lockdown. It's called the Job Retention Scheme. You might know it by the term furlough. Most people thought it was necessary. Actually, most people thought it was vital. If the government tells firms that they have to stop work through no fault of their own, then government should pick up the wage bill. And that's what they're doing right now for about seven and a quarter million people. But it's expensive, of course. It costs about the same every month as the whole of the NHS it's like we've invented a whole new health service and we've got to pay for it. So here's Rishi Sunak on a tightrope. And like the rest of us, he knows that getting off a tightrope is much more dangerous than getting on it. There's an argument that he could fall off on one side by keeping the job retention scheme going for too long so that massive bills pile up and the cost of paying them back damages the economy in the long run. He could fall off on the other side, arguably, by stopping the scheme too early. Millions of people could end up unemployed, and we'd see dull cues like we haven't seen in my lifetime. So that's what we're going to get into today. We're going to try to help Rishi Sunak stay on his high wire. And I've got somebody with me who's an expert in the sort of circus act he's got to perform. And that's Laura Gardner, who works for a think tank called the Resolution Foundation. And we're going to talk to Laura in a moment, right after this. Slow News is a podcast made by us here at Tortoise. We're a news publisher in an app, online, in our daily Sensemaker email, and as you already know, in podcasts. What's different about us is that we investigate what's driving the news. And we'd love for you to join us. By becoming a member of our newsroom, you'll get access to our journalism and you can join our open news meetings and help decide what matters in the world and how we should report it. To get access to all of Tortoise, all you have to do is download our app and take the free trial. Go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash pod trial and help make the news. Welcome, Laura. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Do you want to just introduce yourself first and talk us through your background?
2: Of course. My name is Laura Gardner. I'm a research director at the Resolution Foundation, which is a think tank that focuses on living standards for people on lower and middle incomes. So my research focuses on the labour market, the tax and benefit system, and also quite a bit on intergenerational fairness. So you're the perfect
1: person to talk us through the job retention scheme and the changes that were announced this week.
2: Talk us through it. So Rishi Sunak has announced that the job retention scheme will move to supporting partial furlough, so short hours working from August onwards.
0: But with greater flexibility to support the transition back to work. Employers currently using the scheme will be able to bring furloughed employees back part-time.
2: So that means that people who are working fewer hours than they normally would have been, but are working some hours can get the portion that they're not working topped up by the retention scheme. Now, that that is really important. There's a bit of inequity at the moment between people who aren't working altogether and are on furlough and people who've just had their hours cut. So it's really important to fix that inequity and start encouraging people to do some work. And I think the second big thing the Chancellor announced, as well as a, a long and welcome extension to the scheme into the autumn, was that come August time, businesses will start to need to contribute to some of the costs of furlough pay. Now, the devil will be in the detail in terms of how much, we don't know yet. But that's really important in terms of giving businesses incentives, financial incentives to start thinking about how and whether they can bring staff back on as the economy starts to recover.
1: So first, to get our heads around just how important the job retention scheme has been, I spoke to a friend of mine. Hi, Josh. Hey, how are you? Who runs a food business in central London. So just just describe what kind of business you run.
0: So yeah, I have uh, multiple kiosks, so like small grab-and-go food outlets around the city. Um, started in like market stalls and then have emigrated to more like semi-permanent kind of uh, kiosk model.
1: And how was business before coronavirus hit?
0: Yeah, business was really good. So the food landscape in London is really, really exciting and has been for probably the last five years or so. The idea of basically like a food hall is something that's really been at the forefront Mm. and gives small businesses a great opportunity to be able to emigrate into amazing locations around the city. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that it was only going to continue. Um, Mm. So, yeah, it was really, really looking good.
1: So this has been a real knock for you. You've had to furlough all of your staff. How many people do you employ?
0: Uh, So 13 people in total. So um, a small team, but the way in which the business operates, there's not a lot of fat on it.
1: What? would you have had to do if there was no job retention scheme
0: it would it would have been absolutely devastating but unfortunately they would have all had to have gone just the longevity of this whole thing and how long it's going to pan out for Mm. just don't have the financial reserves to be able to keep them on the books um Mm. for that particular time so unfortunately would have had to have made Mm. them all redundant
1: so rishi sunak announced yesterday that there will be changes to the furlough scheme. But if employers like yourself have to take up and pay part of the wage to furloughed employees, will you be able to afford it?
0: So this is this is the really difficult question now where we're at. Um, so the announcement came yesterday, and I think it's really good that it's come now and giving people the opportunity to really be able to look at their figures look at their bank accounts and understand is it going to be possible for them to be able to do that and, and 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 that's the that's the massive question i think there are some people that will be able to do it um but there are others that just aren't going to be able to be in that situation
1: would you be able to do that pay that 20 percent?
0: so for so for me i'm unsure they've obviously introduced the bounce back scheme which is a really really incredible initiative where you know the loan is free for a year you don't have to pay anything back and then you have six years to pay at 2.5 interest rate Mm -hmm. um a lot of the places in which i lease i only have a short term lease so i can't can i can't guarantee that i will even have a business say, for in six years time Mm -hmm. because i don't make the rules on that yeah so that's a really really scary and intimidating thing for me because i'm just like will i be able to pay that back But then I also have the other thing where my staff are my biggest asset. So to be able to let them go and to then potentially have to retrain and all things like that. So Mm. it's it's really weighing up that risk benefit kind of situation Mm. moving forward.
1: So it's a lot of uncertainty for you. Massively. Well, Josh, good luck. And thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you. So based on what Josh has said, there's no question that without the JRS, we'd be looking at huge unemployment. Is that right, Laura?
2: I think that's absolutely right. Already looking at the forecast we've had from people like the Office for Budget Responsibility, even on quite optimistic forecasts, we're heading for the highest unemployment in over 25 years. And I think it's very clear that if we didn't have the job retention scheme, given the number of jobs it is currently supporting unemployment would be far higher and that's especially the case because if you think about sectors that normally kind of bring people back in from unemployment to employment uh, as we move out of recessions are things like hospitality and retail and those are the very sectors that are having the toughest time this time round. so the engines of our economic recovery are the ones suffering most we've already got really high unemployment it's unlikely that real wages can flex down this time around like they did last time that's what happened in the financial crisis and that helped protect jobs, reduce unemployment increases at the expense of people suffering quite a big pay hit. The dynamics of our current low inflation mean that that's very unlikely to happen this time round. So we should be really, really worried about the level of unemployment we've already likely got and how much worse that would be if we didn't have the JRS and could be if the JRS is wound down too hastily.
1: I mean, it's clear from what you're saying that we're facing such a huge unknown. But if mass unemployment does hit, where will it hit hardest?
2: So I think we can understand where mass unemployment would be felt hardest on the basis of both what tends to happen in recessions and the early evidence from this one. So we know that the sectors that you'd expect to be hardest hit in this crisis are the ones that have both shed the most jobs and put the most people on furlough. So that's arts and recreation, hospitality, and the non-food bits of retail, basically. Those are kind of the big three. And there's obviously loads of others that have been affected to quite significant extents and in different ways, like bits of transport. And the people in those sectors tend to be a bit younger and significantly less well-paid than those in the sectors that can largely carry on and maybe work from home, for example. Uh, And that really matches up with previous recessions particularly on the age angle so we know from past downturns in the 80s in the 90s and during the financial crisis that young people tend to get most affected Uh, by unemployment spikes they've got the least labour market experience they kind of suffer from that last in first out mentality and in particular people leaving education right in the middle of a crisis right in the eye of a storm see their pay and employment prospects scarred for many years so we've kind of got a, a scary cocktail in this crisis both of the fact that young people always tend to be worst affected Added on top of which is the fact that the sectors that are really struggling in this crisis, hospitality, retail, arts and culture, etc, are those that disproportionately employ young people and that young people are very, very likely to start their careers in. So we've, we've sort of really damaged the first rung on the employment ladder for the group that tends to feel economic downturns most harshly anyway. The government got a nasty shock today. The number of people out of work, which has been steadily declining for the last three months, took a sharp turn for the worse.
0: So the situation is about as bleak as one could imagine. The reason I'm on the march is obviously we're very concerned about unemployment because our jobs are constantly under threat. As politicians of both government and opposition marched into the House of Lords to hear the Queen's speech... All were aware that Britain was in its worst economic crisis for more than 40 years, and that the coming year was going to be another round of austerity and sacrifice.
1: There's always unemployment, of course. But one of the features of the British economy that governments have been proudest of has been that recently our rate has been relatively slow compared to other big economies. And we haven't had as many people as other countries stuck endlessly on the dole. Even to somebody like me, who wasn't around to experience it, if you mention the 1980s, it's like a warning of a time that we don't want to go back to.
2: There's definitely some similarities to the 80s. I think that was a really, really big unemployment increase and we could be looking at something on that scale, much closer to that probably than the financial crisis when unemployment, although it rose, didn't rise as much as anybody expected it to. Could you just talk me through the
1: numbers then? What level was unemployment at in the 80s and where are we now?
2: If we think about the 80s, the unemployment rate got into the kind of the low teens kind of 12 13%ish around that recession in the 90s it just briefly topped 10% and in the financial crisis it i think just about touched 8% but didn't get much higher than that. And going into this current crisis, it was down right down at 4%, which is a very tight labour market and reflects our record high employment. So the forecast for where we've kind of gone to very quickly from that very low 4% figure, the Bank of England and the Office for Budget Responsibility reckon maybe 9 or 10% in this current period. So in the second quarter of 2020, a lot of people think those are actually a bit... Here's a cool fact... Unemployment in the US, I think just about quadruple from what we look at, about 4% to 16% in terms of unemployment insurance claims. So that kind of shows quite how rapidly unemployment could increase absent the kind of support we've got. So, so those are the kind of parameters we're talking about. So we're definitely kind of nudging close to where we were in the 80s. And the, the other thing that's similar to the 80s, maybe more so than the two recessions in between, is the sectoral nature of the crisis. So in the 80s, we were seeing big kind of heavy industrial decline that had a particularly regional aspect, so move away from manufacture and mining. So that affected some sectors and some parts of the country particularly acutely. Totally different list of sectors this time round, but it's definitely the case that this is a more sectoral crisis than we've been used to in the past 40 or so years. And to keep looking to the 80s just as an interesting
1: guide and a comparison, how did we begin to get out of that rut of unemployment?
2: What happened in the 80s was that people were made unemployed. When they got to unemployment, we didn't have much in the way of what's called an active labour market policy. So support systems and policies and a set of financial and other incentives to help people look for work, get back to work, adapt to work in new sectors and things like that. So people didn't leave unemployment to go back into employment. They left unemployment to go into what's called economic inactivity. So not even searching for a job or wanting work altogether. And so that's why unemployment came down slowly. And when it did, it came down really in the wrong way with large flows into inactivity. And some people became inactive, often with health problems after that crisis, and never really worked again. And we lived with the legacy of of that policy mistake for, for decades, really. As the economy starts to recover... It's really important we have that activation mindset. That means given the scale of this crisis, not just asking job seekers to look for work, helping them search. It means training. It means really strong guidance. And I think it means job guarantees the state for some groups, actually helping create jobs, subsidise the wages of new jobs to get especially young people in the long term unemployed engaged with the labour market into employment. We need a really comprehensive policy for the workless and the unemployed if we're going to avoid today's unemployment becoming a kind of 10 or 20 year worklessness hangover as people get disengaged for very long periods or for good.
1: And that strikes me as a different message to the one Margaret Thatcher was giving in the 1980s, who seemed to put the onus on business and competitiveness to drive the recovery.
2: You cannot solve it just by shuffling around the shekels, taking your wealth and just spending more of it. You were wanting me to spend less a few minutes ago. Take more of it and just giving artificial jobs. There is only one way to tackle it. If I might say so, it is the way the United States and Japan has tackled it. It is by being more enterprising. It is by starting up more small businesses. It is by encouraging those who can start up on
1: is by having a Briefly to focus on the young, because you've mentioned that that's a group who will feel the job and economic impact of this crisis quite strongly. For them, is the risk now that we've basically clobbered them again? So they already had damaged prospects because of the last recession. And now they're facing more problems.
2: So I think it's important to think about different cohorts of young people when we answer this question. So young is obviously quite a broad term. I'm sure lots of us um, still think we're young when maybe we're not in other people's (laughs) eyes. What the 80s millennials are potentially suffering with, if you like, given that they're kind of in their early 30s now, is a lot of them have just had kids. Their kids are really young and need a lot of care. And they're at home all the time now because schools and nurseries are closed. So I like to characterise it as the the group that got really shafted in the last crisis has sort of maybe just started to find its feet, get into good careers, etc., settled down and had a family and is now really suffering from the school and nursery closures. And the group of millennials, the younger millennials coming behind them, the youngest end of adulthood, are the ones really suffering the most from the economic effects of this crisis. So I want
1: to put myself in the shoes of someone who has lost their job, say in January, before coronavirus and before the job retention scheme. What sort of level of benefits might I be getting kind of in the normal world before coronavirus?
2: So before coronavirus, if you were out of work and claiming benefits, so, so the kind of as a, as a single person, for example, over the age of 25, you'd be looking at uh, £73 a week. As a basic rate as your kind of standard allowance, a bit less if you are under 25, a bit more if you're in a couple. You'd then get, if you were in rented accommodation, support to cover all your rent up to a cap if you're out of work and a kind of tapered amount if you're in work. And then there'd be further allowances for your children and on the basis of any health problems or disability you had. So I suppose the key number to hold on to within that, the kind of the main basic rate is kind of the the £73 a week. And one of the first things the government announced was a kind of a big increase in that, about a £20 a week increase. That's gone up to £94, £95 a week. That is kind of the biggest change the government's introduced, but it's still so different to the level of support people are getting under the job retention scheme. So there's this really big gap
1: That's sort of the point that I wanted to get at, which is that, you know, if I lost my job in January, I'd be getting a few hundred pounds a month. But if I lost it in March, I could be getting up to two and a half thousand pounds a month. So how do we sort out that discrepancy?
2: I think the solution is to not kind of immediately make drastic changes to either the job retention scheme or the benefit system, although further improvements in generosity and eligibility would be welcome. There are some things the government could do, but in the long term what we need to do is we need to make sure we get the kind of policies to help people get back to work in the recovery, job guarantees and the like right, and and get that done quickly so that we kind of minimise that inequity. One
1: argument that's obviously been doing the rounds is that we should just pay everyone a flat amount. So everyone, regardless of how rich or how poor they are, should get something that's called universal basic income. And it's something that's had support from even one of the Democratic candidates for president, Andrew Yang.
0: I think the benefits of universality are uh, easily understood. Where it seems fair, all Americans can get behind it. Um, My vision of the freedom dividend is that it's universal and an opt-in. But if you opt in, then you're foregoing I wonder the benefits how
1: would that, it feel to uh, you or how would it look if the job retention scheme was turned into some kind of universal basic income?
2: I think there's kind of a lot of things that cross purposes potentially in this debate and sometimes it feels like for a certain group of people a universal basic income is the answer no matter what the question is. I don't think it's very helpful to think of turning the job retention scheme into a universal basic income because it's clearly neither universal nor particularly basic. So the job retention scheme is the advantage of it was that we're paying it via payroll, via employers, to maintain existing jobs. That's that, that was a very efficient system to kind of get support out quickly. If a universal basic income is going to be created, it's going to have to be a new thing. You can't just say, well, morph this into that because we're talking about apples and pears. And, and and that kind of brings me to kind of why I think it was a bit silly to potentially be talking about universal basic income at the start of this crisis, which is the priority was to use the systems we've got to provide support in the quickest, most efficient way. So I don't think now is the time to be reinventing the wheel I think it makes most sense, given the speed at which we need to move, to use what we've got. So if we need to get more money to more people, we should be thinking about the benefit system we've got, not inventing a UBI.
1: So let's go back to Rishi Sunak. How big are the dangers of keeping the job retention scheme going for too long? We've talked about it sort of being ripped off too soon. But what happens if we let it run on for far too long?
2: The bigger risk it comes from withdrawing the job retention scheme too quickly. We should be really clear about that. But there definitely are risks on the other side. So those saying that the job retention scheme should just stay in its current form until the economy is completely back to normal miss kind of how the sort of reality of the future we're facing has shifted as this virus has developed. So. The risk of not changing the job retention scheme, just getting stuck in our current stasis, is that we do far too little to incentivise firms and workers to think about how they are going to adapt to this messy new semi-normal world between full lockdown and completely free of coronavirus, we found a vaccine. We need firms and workers to adapt to that world because we need economic activity to happen. We want economic activity to happen. I'm sure everybody would like to do more things than they're doing right now. And we need to figure out how that can be done safely. So that is why the job retention scheme needs to change. We can't just keep the old world on ice until everything's been sorted out. Firms and workers need to start thinking about how to adapt to the interim period. And that is what the job retention scheme should be encouraging them to do.
1: And how do we afford the huge debt that we're building up?
2: Actually, when it comes to the huge increase in government spending that we've seen in the last couple of months, the short-term affordability of that doesn't look very challenging at all because interest rates were low and have gone even lower. So the government's ability to borrow and meet the costs of borrowing to pay for all these things in the short term has actually, if anything, improved a little bit. The kind of debt-interest-to-government-revenue ratio is, is not not gone up at all because interest rates are low and have just tanked even further. Obviously, as we get down the line, there will then be the question of, How do we get that debt back down? And that is a really hard question. There will be a debate about the balance between tax and spending to do that. But the suggestion, well, our strong suggestion is that having just been through a decade of austerity, it's going to need to be much kind of more on the tax riser side than the spending cut side. And we should be thinking in particular when we think about which taxes should rise and how we should find that money about those who have done pretty well in recent years. So there's a bunch of workers in professional jobs who, whose income hasn't been affected. They're just doing their work from home. And actually, they're saving quite a lot more because their consumption has gone down. They can't go on holiday. They can't go to restaurants, et cetera. So this crisis has been really segregated in that way, and it's those kind of people, as well as people who have benefited massively from Britain's booming wealth in recent decades, that we should be thinking about when we think about tax rises. But that is a question for slightly further down the line. It shouldn't be what's motivating us day to day.
1: Okay, final question. And Laura, this has been really, really illuminating. I just wanted to get a sense from you about how concerned you are. About the future and what comes next.
2: Um, all the kind of superlatives people use to describe what's going on in policy and the economy—they kind of, they don't even. St- seem up to it right now given the speed and scale on which everything's changed so i could use the word unprecedented i've probably used it already in our conversation and everybody's using it all the time but it's true everybody's lives have been disrupted that doesn't normally happen in a recession and obviously some people have been affected much worse than others there's huge concerns on the health side and there's huge concerns on the economic side so It would be mad if I wasn't concerned. I'm particularly concerned for, you know, education leavers this year, people that were already in quite precarious jobs before the crisis started. uh, And that's just on the economic side before we get to those at the greatest health risk.
1: Laura, thank you so much. Great. Thanks for having me. As ever, thanks for listening today. If you've enjoyed the podcast, I think there's a really good chance that you'll enjoy all the other journalism that we do at Tortoise. We produce articles that you can read through our app or online. And we're an open newsroom, which means that there are a whole load of editorial meetings that you can join in on from wherever you are in the world. You can shape our journalism and the stories that we tell. So to get our app and to get access to everything that we do, just go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash for a 30 day free trial. Oh, and obviously, just as important, if you like this podcast, share it or give us a review. Thanks, and see you next week.
2: Join us today during
0: the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by four one. Jeep is a registered trademark. What comes to mind when you think of Amber Heard? A liar? A survivor? A narcissist? The trial of Depp v. Heard was a global phenomenon, but I want to know Was it a fair fight? I'm Alexi Mostras, the host of Sweet Bobby and Hoaxed. In my new podcast, I'm investigating whether Amber Heard was the victim of an organised trolling campaign. Just search for Who Trolled Amber wherever you get your podcasts.